Welcome in to The Fade, Kelly Stewart hosting for Clay Travis, who is hopefully enjoying his vacation with his family and surely not tweeting excessively about the state of Colorado. All jokes aside, I am uh, joined by my good friend, mentor Todd Furman. You guys probably remember Todd because he started this show with Clay Travis a few years ago, and he's so kindly sitting in the passenger seat (laughs) Filling in for me. We're going to have a great time today. You can catch Todd on a myriad of shows. Bet the Board podcast, as you can see on his T-shirt. CBS Sports HQ, where we work together for a very long time. And, of course, a couple of days a week on NHL's Puck Line. He is Todd Furman on X. Make sure you're giving him a follow. Todd, today we're just going to run through because that's what Clay does. He just throws a ton of NFL games at me and then lets me answer about three of... The game's out of his six. He gives out an outkick six-pack. I am not going to do that because we all know I'm not betting six NFL games no matter how many days a week we get them. And you and I are going to break down some of these. And then we'll touch on some bowl games and get some of your thoughts on how to bet the rest of this bowl season because so far it has been absolutely atrocious for your girl. I had Old Dominion minus two. And then I had a nice number yesterday on Marshall. UTSA quarterback gets announced out. The line plummets. Doesn't seem to matter. So welcome in, Todd. Thank you again for filling in for me. Hey, I'm more than happy to jump into the hot seat here, Kelly, and I give you a world of credit. Dealing with Clay on a week-in, week-out basis during football season, look, I mean, I was in your seat before, so you have the utmost sympathy from me. You mentioned some of the trials and tribulations with betting the Bulls, telling Clay he's wrong. So we'll have a little bit of fun, hopefully make the viewers smarter than they would be with Clay sitting in the host chair since you actually know the right questions to ask. And more importantly, you've looked at the lines before the show started, which is something we can't say about Clay. Oh, boy. I don't know if I'd get into that kind of Clay slander. Usually his outkick six-pack is already up before we do the show. But let's get into Thursday night football. I think this is going to be a rather interesting one. Saints are a four-point favorite at the Rams. Those primetime unders keep cashing until they don't. I'm kind of curious here. We have some playoff implications I'm probably not going to be getting involved. I really don't think that I can trust the Saints here on the road. And the Rams have been red hot, Todd. Yeah, I think this is an interesting game. You mentioned the playoff implications, and this is coming from someone that had a Rams regular season win total ticket under 7.5. Thought I'd be able to get that home quite comfortably, but this team has exceeded everyone's expectations. Matthew Stafford, like a fine wine, continues to get better with age. And you look at the triplets around him. I mean, Kyron Williams putting up numbers on the same level from a yards-per-game standpoint that we're seeing from Christian McCaffrey. Puka Nakua has been a revelation, and Cooper Cup off the milk carton back on the stat sheet over the last couple weeks. Matched up against the Saints team that I think, Kelly, you and I are in agreement on. Leaves a little bit to be desired from a consistency standpoint. I mean, we lived through the Derek Carr experience out here in Las Vegas that the Saints fans are suffering through. He's been gritty, he's been gutsy, and he did throw three touchdown passes against the Giants last week, but I wonder where the big plays come from consistently in this game. Dennis Allen said that Chris Olave should be back in the fold. Allen wasn't shy about saying this is ridiculous, more or less, that they have to travel nearly 2,000 miles on a short week. We've seen money come in on the road underdog here, but that may not be a dog that I'm running the back in. You mentioned the over-under. Over money, 44 got as high as 46 and a half before there's been a little bit of buyback. I think a very difficult game to handicap, so I'm hoping that you have a more compelling angle to tackle uh, than I do on this one. 
No, I certainly do not. This Thursday night uh, slate has been less uh, desirable than ever, in fact. So I'm going to probably just do what I always do and pass. The NFL has been an absolute roller coaster ride this year, Todd. It has been so tough. The public has cashed, uh, what, 11 out of 15 weeks. And I mean cashed almost across the board. The dogs were not barking last week. Do you think we're going to see some regression to the mean and maybe we can get some dogs to bark for us this week? I mean, this is the time of year where it's always sad and scary to say, but you're going to bat with some of the dregs in the NFL. I mean, we already saw a big move in the Saturday night game with the Los Angeles Chargers fresh off of that embarrassing performance. The 14s got gobbled up like they were going out of style. I mean, people running over men, women, and children to grab them plus the two touchdowns. I do see a couple of dogs uh, that are mildly interesting. One on Sunday that's really caught my eye. I'm hoping the number comes in a range. Uh, I know we'll get into some of those games in greater detail. But look, you nailed it. I mean, it's picking your poison in the NFL and kind of taking that sniper mentality because if you want to blanket the board in this sport, it's extremely difficult and challenging to identify value, especially when you want to bet more of the two and three win teams this time of year, knowing those must-win scenarios are typically overvalued uh, by odds makers alike. Story time. I started working for Todd in 2013, and I walked in been that long it's been really been that long kelly we've gotten that old uh, over all the years it's kind of scary when you think about it that way it's absolutely utterly terrifying the good news is i have gotten younger according to clay travis he told me i looked younger than when i did my first fox segment with you guys at the westgate superbook so i'll take that as a w because i can't win in the nfl so i might as well win in the game of life uh but one of the things that i walked in i think it was a Wednesday morning and I walked in and I had felt so good because you and our good friend Kenny White were opposite of some team that I laid three and a half with on the road and you just sat there with your smirk that you have on your face right now and you said guess what kid you're not going to get rich betting road chalk in the NFL <laughs> uh how those days have passed us by because there's a lot of road chalk this week so we're going to go down the slate did you want to say something I no, felt like what I, what I was going to say no, I do. And I think, you know, you speaking about that, I mean, illustrates the evolution that we've seen in the betting market. I probably bet more road favorites this year in both the NFL and college than I would over the last three to five years combined. Because as some of that know-how gets out there and people look to try and bet some of these home underdogs, it creates value the other way. The same way that three or four years ago, the majority of my first half bets, I was looking to bet first half unders. Now odds makers decide instead of hanging 24 and a half in the first half, they want to hang those numbers at 23 and a half. And you have to be fluid with some of the thought processes there. I will add one final note, though, on why Clay may say you look younger now than then. Uh, it's amazing, Kelly, how those long nights in the nightclubs can age someone prematurely. You're living the good life on the beach. You're making your own hours. You're able to kick your feet back and relax, not pouring shots for everybody till 4 a.m. So it's taken some of the years. Off of that look now, adding years on the back end. Uh, whether or not that's a good thing uh, for Mr. Brett, that remains to be seen. Oh, boy, Todd Furman bringing up old memories on the show. Let's get into the AFC West matchup that has already moved, and that's because we're going to see Mason Rudolph under center for the Steelers. Cincinnati opened as a... Well, pretty much a pick -um. They were Even Pittsburgh was a, a half-point favorite at one point. Now they're a two-point underdog. The total's also been bet down to 37, Todd. I kind of have to look at the AFC North within the division of almost always wanting to make a case for the dog, right? This is one of those rock fight divisions where we always see a very close score, like lower scoring game. 
but I just cannot trust this Pittsburgh team. They've just faltered four straight games against really subpar teams, and Cincinnati's been, well, rather surprising without Joe Burrow. It's pretty wild when we think about how much the market has moved in this game, Kelly. Now, I know there's been a change of quarterback for the Steelers. You mentioned Mason Rudolph getting the nod. Uh, I think Mitchell Trubisky experience is officially on life support, maybe not just with the Steelers, but in terms of his ability to find another backup job. But the Steelers close as a road favorite at Cincinnati in a game where they gained more than 400 yards. Uh, Cincinnati needed a couple of tip balls to even make that game look competitive. All signs point to Jamar Chase being out in this game, so T. Higgins gets elevated into that number one wide receiver role. But at the same time, you look at the rash of injuries the Steelers are dealing with on the defensive side. Mika Fitzpatrick injured DeMonte KZ, suspended for the season for that vicious hit he had on Michael Pittman. And you look at the depth that will really get tested in that defensive backfield for Pittsburgh. But you mentioned it. I mean, this is a Steelers team. Just when you want to write them off for dead, they seem to put together a galvanizing effort. For me, I would have loved to be able to grab three here with the Steelers. I can understand why we've seen some under money. But I think at this point, the only way I'd really run to get involved with the Steelers, I would be using them as a teaser, getting them up through some of those key numbers, through the three, through the four, through the six and seven, and taking them plus eight, maybe looking for a dance partner on the Sunday card instead. Absolutely. That is the only way I'm going to be getting to the window with the Steelers. Todd took the words right out of my mouth. Steelers, excellent teaser play, especially with that low total. So we kind of touched on this one um, as far as what we saw early buy-in here on the Chargers. Bills off a really a very convincing win over a Cowboys team who cannot seem to beat anybody of any substance. But now they travel to L.A. to face a Chargers team off an embarrassing loss. I mean, Todd, did you go to that game? I had it on in the background. I blinked. And what in the world happened? It was almost like the Chargers wanted Brandon Staley to get fired. He obviously ended up getting fired. Now they're off a nice long break. Can Easton stick? do something offensively for this team? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be really optimistic about it. Now, the number is rather large, so it gives the Chargers some breathing room, but it's going to feel, in my opinion, like a Bills home game. I mean, what better opportunity than for Bills Mafia to head west into much better weather during the Christmas holiday weekend than to watch their team continue to fight for a playoff berth in the AFC. And when you look at Buffalo's upcoming schedule, a winnable game Saturday, a winnable game with revenge the following week against the Patriots, potentially setting up a showdown week 18 against the Miami Dolphins, which I have zero doubts you will be in attendance for because there's not a big sporting event in the state of Florida that Kelly Stewart will look to pass up when given the opportunity. But I mean, it's all about the number here, Kel, and I don't think there's any reason to back Buffalo here. This feels like a workmanlike performance that they could be outside the number comfortably up by 17. And here comes Easton Stick marching them through the back door. But the one thing that stood out for me watching the Chargers, other than their inability to focus uh, and some of the quid factor that was there, just looks like Easton Stick processes at such a slow rate. I mean, going through his progressions, trying to get the ball out. If you look at the final stat line, not bad. But if you watch that game in real time, just felt like a turnover waiting to happen. So again, probably a game I won't look to get involved with, uh, but it would be dog or pass. And I can see why some of those 14s were gobbled up early. Yeah, 14 would be nice to have in pocket. You mentioned the, uh, we'll call it the flat spot, because I definitely don't think the Bills would be looking ahead to the Patriots outside of that revenge factor. But the Patriots defense has been rather solid. Again, maybe a flat spot here for the Bills. I don't think I'd be getting involved. I just cannot trust this Chargers team. And 
Hey, the Bills, they need to make a pretty convincing case here. They need to not be looking ahead past a Chargers team. They need to get a big win and keep it rolling into Miami for Week 18, as you mentioned. So let's keep it going ourselves. Cleveland is headed to Houston. Houston opened uh, right around a pick got bet down after the C.J. Stroud news. They are now two-and-a-half-point underdogs. And I'm just going to keep it simple here, Todd, and I'll let you break down this game. This is going to be my dancing partner with the Steelers. Give me the Texans plus eight and a half. You have a little bit more faith in journeyman quarterback Case Keenum than I do, but I can understand from a teaser perspective, giving yourself a a little bit of insurance there. Uh, Case Keenum before last week, his last win as an NFL starter, came for these very same Cleveland routes back in 2021. So uh, this is one of the many teams that Case has honed his craft for in the past. Uh, You know, you wonder how bad this concussion is for the Texans to rule C.J. Stroud out so early in the week. Going to want to monitor the injury report. Noah Brown was the big beneficiary last week with a banged-up receiving core for the Texans. Nico Collins and John Meshi didn't practice on Wednesday. We'll see if Nico is able to get back in the fold. But I think this game will hinge on what Houston can do defensively to keep this game tight. You know, Joe Flacco has done everything and then some for this Browns offense. He's given them a little bit more of a vertical passing game. We're seeing David Njoku get involved. I'd actually lean the other way at two and a half. Can't really take umbrage, though, with you using the Texans as a teaser. Uh, And I'd actually look at the total. I think 40 and a half, 40 and 40 range, a little bit tall there if the Cleveland Browns defense plays better. I know a lot of people had made a lot of storylines out of the fact that Cleveland has been much better defensively at home than they have on the road. So much of that is because short fields and turnovers. Uh, I think against Case Keenum, they'll be just fine. and could see this being a low-scoring game, which would bode well for your teaser taking the Texans up. Now, this is going to come as no surprise to you, but here's an underdog I do like this week. The Minnesota Vikings are catching three at home to the Detroit Lions, and I think they could be a rather square dog. That is okay at this point in time with me because I think Nick Mullins has the opportunity to be okay, and that's all we really need from him. He has the weapons around him. We do know what we've seen from this Vikings defense, and they can shut down the run. If they can kind of turn Detroit into a basically only a passing team. If they can get rid of Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, I think that bodes well for the Vikings. Obviously, this game is indoors, which bodes well for the Lions because they can't seem to win a game outside to save their lives. What are your thoughts on this NFC North matchup? Should I be getting to the window here with the Vikings? Uh, you mentioned, I mean, Jared Goff and those small hands playing in the elements, uh, a little bit of a problem, one that he won't have to deal with here for the whiteout game for the Vikings. Uh, I'm actually in agreement with you on this game. Uh, I'd love to be able to grab Minnesota plus three and a half, and that's kind of the price point that I'll be looking for. You know, I think Minnesota was the wrong side. I guess we'll call them loser, but it was actually a push last Saturday against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, a defense that had been absolute nails over the last couple of weeks completely falls apart down the stretch. You mentioned Nick Mullins, and he led this team to one of their more productive offensive games of the entire season. The problem is the Vikings left way too many points on the board. I mean, Nick Mullins with an inexplicable decision late in that first half. He throws that errant interception early on in the game. And Minnesota had so many different opportunities to run away and hide. But I think another week under Justin Jefferson's belt gives him the opportunity to be more game ready, paired opposite Jordan Addison. And we get Ty Chandler with a career day last week for more than 100 yards rushing. This Vikings defense will heat up Jared Goff. We know Goff welts under, welts, welts wilt under the weight of pressure so i think brian flores will throw some unique wrinkles at him i'm right there with you i think this is a live home underdog that unfortunately for lions fans staves off their clinching desire for the first time since 93 to be named a division champ 
I think so as well. Green Bay heads to Carolina, who finally wins their second football game over. Uh, well, it was a terrible game. I saw just glimpses of it, and you're going to laugh because, of course, I had Panthers in a teaser. I could not bear to take them plus the points, and, of course, they win the game outright. Green Bay, Jordan Love. Todd, what do we think about Jordan Love? I'm still very undecided about him. I feel like he's been very Jekyll and Hyde this year. We've seen some glimpses of real greatness, and then every once in a while I catch a play from him and I go, Jordan, what were you thinking? Or is that really Matt LaFleur? I mean, I think when I watched Jordan Love, the number one adjective that I would use to describe him, other than maybe uneven, I'd say raw. Because you do see glimpses of some of that athleticism, that arm talent, and the decision-making that you go, okay, maybe Green Bay does have something here as a franchise quarterback. And then you watch other games and you go, I'm not sure the light bulb has officially clicked on. So it's important, in my opinion, for the Packers to be able to take advantage of an opponent that they should beat in the Carolina Panthers this weekend. Uh, but last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it wasn't so much the offense as the defense that's been really banged up. I mean, they were down so many key contributors in that secondary, allowed Baker Mayfield to go absolutely nuclear. Uh, Chris Godwin getting involved. Mike Evans, of course, producing. So in this spot, I'm not sure that Bryce Young and that receiving core that he's got at his disposal in Carolina is going to be able to do something similar, even if Green Bay comes in injured. But watch the injury report for the Packers. You'd love them to have their full wealth of weapons. Most importantly, Christian Watson to be able to spread the field out a little bit. Uh, but this tally would fall into the bucket of laying more than a field goal on the road with a bad football team. And it's not something I feel comfortable in doing. Uh, but I wouldn't be running to back Carolina. It is interesting, though, when you consider that Green Bay just two weeks ago was a six and a half point favorite. I know they closed as a five and a half point favorite on the road against the Giants. And here they are in Charlotte laying a shorter number against the Panthers. I still have the Giants favored on a neutral against Carolina. So if anything, it could be perceived as a buy low, uh, but I just don't feel comfortable backing the Packers expecting them to win by margin. Absolutely in agreement there, Todd. Okay, let's go Indianapolis. Now a one-point dog at the Atlanta Falcons. We've seen some interesting movement in this one as well. I love backing Atlanta at home. Well, that was until they started losing all of these football <laughs> games back-to-back. They opened as a one-point favorite. The market disagreed. Kind of make this one make sense for me. Uh, we talked about Jordan Love and how we didn't really know who he was. Well, I think we now know who Desmond Ritter is. And I think so does Arthur Smith, prompting the decision to go back to Tyler Henneke or Taylor Henneke as their starting quarterback this week. I mean, Ritter had a chance just to eat the ball late in the game against Carolina, kick the field goal, go up 10-6 and force the Panthers to drive the length of the field. Now, that doesn't all fall on Ritter because you still gave up a 95-plus yard march if you're the Atlanta Falcons defense in the most high-leverage situation that you've been in all season. But you look at this Atlanta team, and they just invent ways to lose. I mean, in each of their last four losses, they've given up a score in the final minute. So the margins are perilously thin. You had uh, team owner Arthur Blank come out this week saying, you know what, we're going to assess exactly what we have. Uh, and Arthur Smith, and figure that out at the end of the season. Not exactly going to leave your head coach for with confidence. But this move, uh, I'm not necessarily surprised by it. Uh, I was a little bit surprised to see the Colts open as much as a two-point favorite. I can't imagine that Michael Pittman returns for this game, so it takes a key cog out of that Colts offense. But at the same time, I mean, do you really want to lay points with the Falcons? Do I think they win the game? Yes. Am I bullish enough to walk to the window and lay the current number at minus one? Probably not. It may take a little bit more coaxing and prodding for that to happen. I would have to agree. Some of these games are just better left unplayed. Uh, Seattle off a monster win 
Todd, I went to bed. I had Seattle money line, and albeit it wasn't supposed to be with Drew Locke, that is for sure. And uh, I got a little flack for the Drew Locke slander as a former Broncos fan. Uh, I guess I'm still a Broncos fan, but I want to be former. Let me tell you, I, I want to be rid of uh, some of those really bad years out of Denver. But I, I didn't think that Drew really had it in him. We had seen the week prior he threw two interceptions to two touchdown passes, but he got it done in this team. Uh, rallied back from, you know, a 10-point deficit. Now they're laying two and a half to the Tennessee Titans that everybody was running to the window to bet last weekend. I didn't fully understand that. I understood that Derrick Henry had owned the Texans previously, but that one uh, ended so strangely as well in overtime. I kind of don't know what to make of this. Uh, I think the Titans are probably yet another teaser spot. Uh, I mean, look, I was part of that camp that laid uh, some of those shorter numbers with the Titans at minus two and minus two and a half. Came back over the top, though. Thankfully, grabbed a little bit of the Houston Texans plus three and a half. But uh, unfortunately, was on the wrong side of that as the Titans blew a 13-0 lead in that game. I mean, sure week, Seattle traveling across the country to take on the Titans. Uh, I mean, if Seattle doesn't win that football game, I mean, this number probably opens right around a pick. So I think as a result, you're paying a premium. Again, we'll be on Geno versus Drew Watch to see if Drew Locke gets his third straight start or if we get Geno Smith to return from that groin injury. You look at the Seattle Seahawks, probably the most complete defensive effort we saw from them last week against Philly uh, that was more reminiscent of what we were getting from them week in, week out early in the year compared to how they played during the entire month of November. If they can sell out and stop the run, there's a path for Seattle here. Uh, but I'm kind of with you. This game, a very difficult handicap. I don't see an edge situationally to be found with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, and I'm not sure I have it in me to back the Tennessee Titans yet again with all sorts of questions about who we'll see under center, what kind of weapons, what that workload will look like. So the Titans, for me, probably a team that I won't be involved in their games, maybe not just this week, uh, but the remainder of the season, the way things stand right now. Now you sound like Clay. There you go. Just well, hate I the mean, Titans. Clay, I mean, Clay, I'm sure, was drinking the Kool-Aid early in the year, believing that I Will was Levis was getting the with Will Levis. I drank the Kool-Aid with Will Levis, and then he jumped on the bandwagon, and then the wheels fell off again because... I think I think Will Levis is quickly reminding us, Kelly, of the quarterback that any college football fan watched at Kentucky, that the athleticism and the arm talent is there, but the accuracy leaves a lot to be desired. In the NFL, we know the margins are small, so if you can't make those throws into a 7-10 to 10 yard window, it makes it very difficult to be a franchise quarterback. But he's going to be given every opportunity to be the guy there in Tennessee if he struggles next year. The Titans will be drafting in that top 10, and I'd imagine they'd kick the tires on a potential another quarterback prospect. I know why this head coach still has a job, and that's because it's pointless to fire him now. It couldn't have got much worse than not pushing somehow in L.A. last weekend if you had seven with the Commanders. Only the Commanders uh, could lose and not cover in that fashion. They are now three-point underdogs at the New York Jets, who fresh off an absolute and utter beatdown from the Dolphins. Uh, Trevor Simeon ended up taking uh, over under center when Zach Wilson left last weekend. I don't know what to make of this. This is, you know, we talked about on Hot Mike, the dumpster fire of the week. This game is the dumpster fire of the week. We should just skip over it. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't think you can consider laying the points and being confident with the Jets, and I'm not sure you want to run to back the Washington Commanders. The best storyline in that game, though, was Jacoby Brissett coming in for Sam Howell, leading the team on not one but two touchdown drives. And you mentioned it, Ron Rivera, apparently not a student of the new school analytics uh, of kicking a field goal there to try and take the game from eight down to six. 
Instead, he gets the worst of both of it with the missed extra point. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Tough game to handicap. Don't see any reason to try and do guesswork in a game with two dumpster fires. Absolutely. Here's an interesting one. Uh, after the Bucs had that nice win in Green Bay and the Jags, I think the final score on Sunday night looked worse than it really was. I did watch that game uh, start to finish. Jags now a one-point underdog in Tampa. Is Baker Mayfield, like, the real deal here? That's what I really have to ask. I was kind of on this little early roller coaster ride with Baker. He looked pretty terrible against the Philadelphia secondary, so I kind of started to ride him off, and then I came back and laid the points uh, in Tampa with the Lions because, again, Baker guaranteed to throw an interception. It's almost as if this defense has really cleaned it up, and Baker has really cleaned it up. Dude's been a gamer. I mean, he knows he's on a series of one-year deals, goes out there and fights week in, week out. You know, first perfect passer rating for Baker Mayfield last week in the win against the Green Bay Packers in his NFL career. And I think he's going to find opportunities to pick apart a Jaguar secondary uh, that leaves a little bit to be desired. Again, going to want to monitor the injury report. We know Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol. We'll see if Sunshine is able to go under center for the Jags this weekend. Zay Jones came up lame in that game as well, grabbing at the back of his leg, whether it's a hamstring or a knee. I mean, you see the difference that Christian Kirk makes in this Jaguars offense. They really lack some of that vertical passing game. Without him, Travis Etienne hasn't been able to run behind a makeshift offensive line. Uh, so this is a game where the Jags would have been road favorites if they had their full complement of weapons and a healthy Trevor Lawrence. Because we don't know those statuses, we're seeing Tampa as a short one-point favorite and a little bit of under money. Uh, I lean Tampa here, but again, not a game that I'm running to bet. I think you're paying a premium to back Tampa here, but I do have some real concerns about the Jags. And for a team that thought they had an inside track to winning the division in a runaway, they are going to have to work for absolutely everything atop that AFC South over the next couple of weeks. I think I might end up getting to the window here, at least from a contest perspective, Todd. Maybe not a monetary, but picking five games is always hard in the NFL, so I may have to use uh, the Bucks in one of them. You're a Bears fan, right? Right? You grew up a Chicago uh, Bears up, fan? I grew up a New York Giants fan, actually. I did grow up in okay. Chicago. I had to watch the uh, Super Bowl shuffle on repeat when the Bears won in 85 for all my friends that lived You actually Bears. remember that? Because well, I, I sure do. don't. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I'm dating myself here. But yes, I, I do remember that. They were the biggest thing in Chicago. And the reason I remember it, Kelly, because Bear fans didn't let it go. I mean, you in the early 90s, they still wanted to talk about the 85 Bears. Hell, they still talk about them now because it's a franchise that hasn't experienced much in the way of success, and they haven't exactly been great at identifying a franchise quarterback uh, over the last 35 years or so. Yeah, that doesn't help them. You know what they also haven't been doing very well? Uh, laying points. And that's why I think I've got no choice here but to take the four with the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals bit me last week. And you would yell at me for this because I had ample opportunity to get a 13, and then I didn't, and I blinked, and it was 11. Uh, I took a bad number, and uh, it cost me. But I do think this team is better with Kyler Murray. Uh, they have something more to play for. We'll see if James Conner cannot run all over this Bears defense because it sure looks like he should be able to. Uh, do not think – I do not think I can trust this Bears team enough to go out there and get a win – and to cover. The Bears may win this game, but it could be down to a last-minute field goal. I could see this being a 24-22 final. Cardinals get the cover. Bears somehow get another win. Uh, I mean, biggest question in this game, which team wants to win the game less uh, in terms of protecting some of their draft position that's out there? Now, Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields still probably fighting for jobs. And I think on some level, I mean, the Cardinals want to identify if Kyler Murray is going to continue to be their franchise quarterback going forward. 
uh, with Jonathan Gannon. Uh, you mentioned what we saw last week and what should have been a flat spot for the 49ers. The Arizona defense was the great equalizer there. The Niners did what they wanted whenever they wanted. Uh, injury report to keep tabs on here. Hollywood Brown maybe touch and go all week. If he can't play, the player you're going to want to look at, especially in player prop markets, will be Arizona Cardinals tight end Trey McBride. You see that chemistry starting to develop with him and Kyler Murray, and it was last week against these very same Chicago Bears that you saw Joe Flacco go to David Njoku early and often. So I think if you get a reasonable number on McBride catches and yards and maybe an anytime touchdown, he's a player that I'd be looking at and probably the only way that I'd be tangling in this game. So I mentioned earlier that the Dallas Cowboys can't beat anybody with any sustenance, and it seems like neither can the Miami Dolphins. We have two 10-4 teams. The Cowboys are a one-and-a-half-point underdog. And last week, they burned my teasers. I laid two with the Bills. I teased the other side with the Cowboys. I said, come on, Bills, just win by three, four, five, six, or seven. Uh, that was not going to ever happen. Even thought there might have been a moment there in the second half, and the Cowboys just came out completely flat. There's some arguments here about, well, Dak Prescott. But I almost have to wonder if it's not only him. His offensive line allowed him to get sacked 10 times over the last three weeks. It's hard to throw touchdown passes when you're sitting on your butt the whole game. Uh, the Dolphins, on the other hand, as I mentioned, were rather impressive, but against the Jets. It still is the Jets. I understand the Jets' defense is impressive, but eventually they get worn down and tired because their offense is so bad that they've just probably have spent two-thirds of the game on the field and say, okay, no more. We have now just officially tapped out. I think I'm going to go back to the well and tease the Cowboys again in this one. And maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, Todd. Again, I have not seen enough from the Dallas Cowboys in terms of big wins over big-time teams. But are the Miami Dolphins a big-time team, or are they similar to the Cowboys? Oh, look, I mean, these are two teams that kind of resemble each other in what they've been able to do this season. Number one and number two in the league in terms of points per game. You look at what their combined record is between them for teams over 500. Just one and six in that win coming uh, via the Cowboys victory on Sunday Night Football two weeks ago against the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that's taking on water in their own right. You mentioned last week for the Dolphins, and it definitely felt like a get-right game, but you look into some of the numbers, even without Tyreek Hill, I mean, they capitalized on an early Zach Wilson turnover for a touchdown drive that covered nothing. The Jets, with a fake punt early in that game, the Dolphins had a short field, they were able to cash that in, so it wasn't like the offense was absolutely humming. Uh, Tyreek Hill should be back, even if it's in a somewhat limited capacity. The Dolphins a little bit banged up still on that offensive line, but that's not going to change over the next couple weeks, and in the defensive backfield as well. Uh, as they're down some key cogs. But I do think this game, in my opinion, Kelly, is much more important for the Cowboys to prove to themselves that last week against Buffalo was a fluke more so than the norm. I mean, they go out there and get embarrassed. All we can start saying is, look, it's the same old Cowboys. Shame, you know, fool us once, shame on you. Fool us twice, shame on us uh, in terms of how we're assessing the team and some of their playoff prospects. But I think as a teaser, it makes sense. This is one of the more fascinating games of the week and two teams who are desperate to prove that they're legitimate threats in their respective conferences to make deep runs uh, and do everything they can, in the case of the Dolphins, to dethrone the Ravens, who they'll see next week, and the Dallas Cowboys that are able to try and make a push for the division if Phillies stubs their toe uh, over the final three weeks of the season. So I need the Dolphins to keep their foot on the gas. I have an AFC East plus 275 ticket in pocket. But I'm also kind of wondering, Todd, if I just don't take easy street. Right now I can get the Bills plus 220. Let's just say I throw a nickel on the Bills plus 220. I got two dimes on the other side with the Dolphins, and I don't end up caring who wins the AFC East. What would you do if you had that ticket in pocket? 
you're in a good spot. And I think when you look at the Dolphins' upcoming schedule, significantly more difficult, the last thing you'd want to do is just kind of throw away some of that win equity that's there in a one-game setting uh, for Miami playing host to the Bills that final Sunday of the season. So I think, look, anytime you have a chance to grab a ticket like you did on the Dolphins at plus 275, come back over the top, even if it's just to mitigate some of the risk there at plus 220, you're going to be in a good spot. So can't fault you for a second. Uh, given some of the inconsistency we've seen uh, and the strength of schedule disparity for both of these teams over the next three weeks. Yeah, the Bills just kind of seem to be peaking at the right time, if you will. Another team that started peaking after they got absolutely obliterated by the Dolphins was the Denver Broncos. Their defense has really come to play. Right now sitting third in the NFL with 24 takeaways. That is not something I thought I'd be saying NFL Week 16. On the flip side, they're playing the New England Patriots and Bailey Zappi, who is beyond inexperienced. And boy, oh boy, was that another L for me there, Todd. Tens were available, but guess who took nine and a half? That was uh, another bird brain have moment. I tell you, have we, have we taught you nothing in this business? Have we taught you nothing in this space? With all of the people you surround yourself with, both at home, both with your other business pursuits, this is a direct reflection of working way too frequently with Clay. It's the only thing I can attribute it to. That, that would maybe make sense. Uh, it also would not because I should know better. Uh, I really thought that the Patriots were going to, you know, be within a touchdown, if you will, but Bailey Zappi had other plans. Bottom line here, this game in Denver, I told a lot of people this in Chicago. I think Clay laid points with this Denver Broncos team versus the Bears, and hey, it is what it is, but friends don't let friends lay points with the Denver Broncos. I laid three and a half versus the Commanders, up 21-3, and that was all she wrote. They ended up losing that game outright. This is what the Broncos do. Uh, don't think that they're capable of blowing anybody out. Again, defense has made strides. Russell Wilson getting his butt chewed uh, by Sean Payton the other day kind of warmed my heart just, just a smidge. I enjoyed it from a fan perspective because sometimes you have to certainly ask, what the heck? Some of these quarterbacks are doing, but make this game make a little bit of sense. The Patriots, again, great defensively, but are they going to be able to put up any points against this Broncos team? It's a great question. And then I think on the flip side for a Broncos team that wants to establish the run, are they going to be able to run it against one of the stingiest run defenses in the entire league? Because if it all falls on Russell Wilson, uh, we may see another dust up on the sidelines between head coach Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, like we saw last week against Detroit. But I am right there with you. I think as this number continues to leak out, there's going to be an opportunity to be able to grab a natural seven in the market uh, on the Patriots. We know that people are going to be with their friends and family on the holiday. They're going to be looking for something to do and something to bet. And I can't imagine it's an attractive value proposition for them to bet the Patriots here. So expect the Broncos to create all sorts of liabilities for the sports books, whether it's as a teaser leg, whether it's in money line parlays, or even a straight bet. So if you like the dog, maybe wait this thing out. Uh, I can see making a case to go under the total, though. I know the first half numbers have been beaten up a little bit, but if you have access to a 17, that may be worth a small value proposition. Uh, this, for me, has all the makings, to your point, of a football game that's played somewhere in that 13-10, 17-13 range that it's never going to feel comfortable if you're laying points with the Broncos because they're not equipped to run away and hide, and they play so slowly and methodical, especially from a positive game state. Meanwhile, on the other side, I mean, I don't want sure Bailey Zappi is going to go out there and light the world on fire. So uh, I'm right there with you. I think the dog has a little bit of merit here, especially as the number continues to climb. Uh, would also look to try and go under, especially early in the game. It would just be 
nice to know which Bailey Zappi I was going to get. You know, if it was the Steelers version of Bailey Zappi or if it's going to be well, the Kansas City version. And, and Kelly, even in that one, are you going to get the Bailey Zappi in the first half against the Steelers or are you going to get ba the Bailey Zappi in the second half against the Steelers? So even in the same 60-minute sample size, you have no idea what you're going to get from the Western Kentucky product. Very, very true. All right, we have a trio of Christmas games, and then we're going to get into a couple of these bowls. Las Vegas is a 10-point underdog at Kansas City. Kansas City was just a 10-point road favorite at New England. Make this one make sense, or is this a buy-low spot on the Chiefs after what the Raiders were able to do to the L.A. Chargers the other night? Surely not. You are right on. Uh, I think you're going to see the public looking to back the silver and black plus the 10. I mean, the Raiders in that game against Kansas City were even able to build a 14-0 lead early and still couldn't cover as a double-digit home underdog. I think for Kansas City, you, you go back and you watch the game against New England, a little bit misleading how close that game actually was. Kansas City, I know it's going to sound like a broken record, a lot of self-inflicted wounds more often than not. Uh, but I think this is the poster child for a lay it or don't play it type game. I think the Chiefs build a lead early and in the division where there is no love lost between these two franchises. Uh, I'll take my chances that Aiden O'Connell can't throw his way back into this football game, knowing that the Raiders could still feel big fan happy after that 63 point outburst against the Chargers. I like the Chiefs and I think they win this game by two touchdowns plus. I'm in agreement. All right, a game that I thought a team would win by two touchdowns plus, but now it's not so certain. The New York Giants are 12-point underdogs at the Philadelphia Eagles. Todd, I, full disclosure, saved the Eagles in the survivor pools for Christmas. And I, we're being honest, if I had the Eagles, even being a 12-point favorite, I would be a little nervous given their last four games. Do you think they're going to be able to get a win over – Tommy Cutlets, or, uh, you know, maybe that's why I like the Saints last week. I thought maybe it was a look-ahead spot for the Giants, a game that really didn't matter to them, essentially. Now, again, the bottom has kind of fallen out in Philadelphia. We know that Jalen Hurts has been a little more turnover-prone, and boy, is that Eagle secondary exploitable. It is, but is Tommy DeVito the guy that can do it with some of the weapons that he has at his disposal? For the first time in what feels like, I don't know, two months for the Philadelphia Eagles, they get a chance to punch down in weight class against an opposing offense that doesn't have a DK Metcalf, that doesn't have a CeeDee Lamb, a uh, Jalen Waddle, a Tyreek Hill. You know, you name it, some of the murderer's row of offensive weaponry that they faced. So I think even without Darius Slay, we'll see if Avante Maddox, whose practice window opened last week, can return to kind of give this team a much-needed boost uh, in their defensive backfield. Uh, I can understand why this total got bet under. It opened at the key of 44. We're now looking at 42 and a half. I think the Giants will struggle to move the football, but I think this Eagles offense is just as broken. I don't think you can wave a magic wand and expect them to resemble the group that we saw week in, week out when Shane Steichen was at the controls as offensive coordinator. So this feels like a workmanlike effort for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, 24 to 10 feels about right, you know, maybe 27 to 13. So I would lean under the total. I definitely don't have the confidence laying nearly two touchdowns with the Eagles until they go out there and show me a little bit more. All right, last but not least, Monday Night Football has been a, well, plethora of outright underdog winners, and I like the Baltimore Ravens catching five at San Francisco. But, Todd, I haven't figured out if I think the Ravens can actually win this football game. What do we know? The Ravens will be able to run, whether it's Gus Edwards, whether it's Justice Hill, whether it's Lamar Jackson. Over the last three games, San Francisco has really struggled defensively against whether running backs or mobile quarterbacks. And we did even see it last week with a little bit with Kyler Murray. 
On the flip side, the Niners, everybody's ready to give them the Lombardi. Now, all of a sudden, Brock Purdy, MVP front runner. Maybe, just maybe, the Ravens can pull the upset. Uh, I'm actually going to be on the other side of this game. Uh, I, I like the 49ers. I would feel more comfortable backing the favorite here uh, than playing the underdog. When I look at this Baltimore offense and you look at how they've performed uh, over the last couple of games on the road, something just doesn't feel right. Whether it was the Sunday night football game against the Chargers where they waited until deep into that fourth quarter to be able to find separation with Zay Flowers breaking loose, or even last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars that we know have plenty of questions in their defensive backfield. Lamar couldn't get on track. And I truly believe that losing a player that's as explosive and dynamic as Keaton Mitchell hurts this ground game some. He was giving them a weapon that they didn't have earlier in the season. And you mentioned Justice Hill and Gus Edwards. They feel a little bit more like plotters. They'll keep you honest there. I think the 49ers playing a mobile quarterback last week and Kyler gets them in the right mindset for this spot. Uh, And I know what the numbers say for this Ravens team defensively, but we go back a couple weeks in inclement weather. Just look at what Matthew Stafford was able to do, spreading the ball around. If the 49ers can protect Brock Purdy, I think there's going to be opportunities to take shots, getting Brandon Ayuk involved, taking advantage of Debo Samuel's unique skill set. So for me, uh, I expect to see money coming in on the Ravens in this game. I really do. There's some four and a halfs actually out there in the market now. Uh, I may wait this out as long as possible and look to lay points with the favorites, square or not. I'm not sure I would have it in me to be holding a Baltimore ticket come Monday night. I had a feeling Baltimore might end up being the square dog, uh, but this is my Super Bowl winner, 20 to 1, and maybe this is our Super Bowl preview. Of course, Todd and I are up against it time-wise because, well, between the two of us, uh, there's a lot of talking that goes on. (laughs) Of course there is, but I do want to get some of Todd's thoughts on some of these bowl games. And I know we were texting yesterday, and I said, hey, I'm going to need a best bet for a bowl game. And you said, absolutely not. And then... How I lost Marshall and how I mentioned I lost uh, Old Dominion. And looking at my loser of a ticket with K-State minus four uh, after uh, Colin Klein leave, before Colin Klein left. You're Grand supposed M- to have the intel. I mean, there's one program in the country that you're supposed to have the intel. Oh, I'm You're supposed the to intel. know the coaching staff and everything else. So I'm going to expect a scouting report right up until kickoff for that game against NC State to know who the side is in that contest. Yeah, I bet you can't wait for my breakdown of the Pop-Tart Bowl, Todd. Uh, It's going to be really exciting. I'm excited to see true freshman Avery Johnson, Cooper Beebe, who is uh, the most highly decorated offensive lineman ever to come out of K-State, said he would be playing in the bowl game. He is not going to opt out. So you love to hear that kind of stuff. And it will be Connor Riley, offensive coordinator, to be. It will be his, uh, we'll call it... uh, his interview. Who do you call it? A dress rehearsal of sorts? Yes, dress rehearsal to see on if he's going to earn this job. And when you remember, it was Colin Klein's dress rehearsal against LSU. They yep. sure like to air it out and really open up that offense, you know, just to get me excited to turn around and not do that for the next three years <laughs> afterwards. Uh, all jokes aside, let's get into a couple of these bowls. I wanted to hear your opinion on the college football playoff and how people should be navigating all of these crazy swings that we've just been seeing. So I think bowl games right now in the current landscape are feeling a lot more like the NFL preseason where your power numbers do one thing, the stats and the 12 plus data points that you have for all these teams leave you feeling warm and tingly, uh, but you're going to have to do your reading. Uh, You're going to need to stay up on what players are in, what players are out, where there are cluster injuries, where the market may be overreacting to a quarterback's absence, like a couple of the games that you mentioned there. So It's a little bit of a different dynamic than what it used to be in the past. And I think if you haven't grabbed some of these numbers early, you're almost better off waiting until the 24 hours leading up to kickoff to figure out some of the true positions. 
But the other thing, Kelly, I mean, there's more legalized and regular and sports betting than ever before. This is the perfect opportunity to take advantage of live betting. I mean, look at some of the comebacks that we've seen already this bowl season, whether it was Texas Tech, Cal, Boise State, UCLA, Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, Marshall against UTSA. Try and figure out which of these coaches can make some of those in-game adjustments because when you have three or four weeks early on, the first couple series may not be illustrative of what you're going to see for the better part of fourth quarters. But I did find a bowl game I actually like that I feel comfortable giving out um, after we talk. Uh, I think Air Force, you know, is a short underdog in that plus one, one and a half range. I know the two and a half got cleared out. I expect the Falcons to close as a favorite. When you look at JMU, the players are saying the right things, but you don't go into the transfer portal even if you want to play a bowl game because you're not looking for a better offer that's out there. And are you fully going to be entrenched uh, and immersed in your game prep? It's a little bit of a skeleton crew for JMU as well as Coach Signetti took the job at Indiana. Uh, so you wonder what has been an outstanding season uh, for the Dukes so far this year at Harrisonburg, what you're going to get here. And I also think that Air Force is going to get their starting quarterback and Zach Larrier back for this one, which gives them a key cog that was extremely important during the regular season because we saw Air Force really fall off a cliff losing the last four games. And you can't go wrong betting on the service academies in bowl games. So I like Air Force as a short underdog in this one. Nothing that I would run over men, women, and children to bet, but if you're looking for a game coming up in the next couple of days, I think this one's on Saturday. Uh, I like Air Force. I think they close the favorite here. Okay, last but not least, I got to ask, uh, is Alabama going to be a square dog here? I opened two Michigan didn't take any money. It was all Alabama money from every bookmaker that I spoke to. Michigan, really solid defense, but man, Alabama, Todd. From that USF game where Clay and I did our first show and we joked about the three-quarterback carousel that was Nick Saban's team <laughs> to where they are now, holy cow, are they a completely different team. I'm not sure Michigan's been tested. Can you help me make sense of this one? Because, of course, being the contrarian that I am, I would love to get Michigan at like a pick em. But I don't know if we're going to see it. I think you wait this out as long as possible uh, because I do think that Michigan will end up being the side, Kelly. So there's no reason to bat the Wolverines right now. I'd be stunned if this game got to three. Uh, so it's almost like that asymmetric risk that we talk about all the time in sports betting. You know, wait it out because I don't think a field goal will end up popping because those will get gobbled up pretty quickly. So if you get some money that comes in, there's a chance that Michigan closes right around a picker or maybe even plus one in this spot. Michigan's biggest question in this game will be the offensive line. I mean, they were under siege in that Big Ten championship game against Iowa, and we know that's the strength of this Alabama defense. So what can they scheme up with J.J. McCarthy, who's going to be a little bit healthier, but Michigan's ground game has lacked some of that punch. I do think that player that I'm very curious to see what he looks like with a full month off before this game will be Donovan Edwards. Looked like he was dealing with that knee injury all season long. Didn't look anything close to the running back that was dynamic last year against Ohio State in that regular season finale and that we got flashes of in the postseason there. So I would lean towards Michigan, but you mentioned Alabama and, you know, potentially trending up. I can't argue that, but at the same time, people want to give them credit for the win against Georgia. And look, anytime you beat a two-time defending national champion, you deserve your accolades. But Georgia looked like they were trying to get too cute in that game. And then what? It was a 4th and 31 miracle in the Iron Bowl that even gave Alabama a chance. So for all those people that love what they've seen from Alabama the last month, let's pump the brakes because in Alabama's game, is still that clunker against Auburn. It's still a game that they couldn't find separation against Arkansas when they took their foot off the accelerator. So uh, I think this game will be very interesting to watch. Michigan's offensive line, a major concern in that Rose Bowl matchup. 
He is Todd Furman. I am Kelly Stewart. And in the words of Clay Travis, let's get rich, kids. 